almost 50% of the contribution of the sales department can come from the finance department. Can. Now, the average Marine dealer put $68,000 to that contribution number. That contribution number, again, is $830,000, and the average Marine dealer put $68,000 to it. We know the finance department can get you almost half of what your contribution number is. That's money. That's already there, gang. It's found income. We need to do a better job in the finance department. We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money. This, this is, is Garage, Garage Cast. Cast. Welcome to Garage Cast episode forty seven. This is Tony Gonzalez coming to you from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. As always, I have uh, my partner, Sam Dantzler, on the line. Sam, how you doing, man? Buddy, I am doing fantastic. Loving life right now. How are you convalescing? <laughs> well, I'm going to have to look that word up at the end of this podcast, but I think you're asking, how am I, how's my rehab from surgery going? And that's why I'm how off. Done, how, done, how done does that knee and that ankle feel? <laughs> how, how done they, they, done, they done put me back together like Humpty Dumpty. Buddy, I'm way ahead of schedule. I think you know I've been I've been on my stationary bicycle now for several days. I'm one week out of surgery, and uh, I think I feel better now than I did for six months going into the surgery because they cleaned all that crap out of my ankle joint. So, uh, thanks for asking. I am I am flying high right now, and I don't mean medication. Yeah, how's that? How's that remodel going? It's just awesome. It does wonders for the marriage. It really does. Re- if you guys really want to get the most out of your marriage, do a remodel on your house while living in it. It's fantastic. I'd recommend it for everybody. The good news is, yeah. uh, you know, you've awesome. decided to keep it contained to the entire house, not just one single room. So good on you. Uh, you know, before we started recording this, I, I was just showing Sam, you know, I mean, the contractor has done fantastic work on the basement of our house. It is about 85% done. And we're talking base, case, doors, trim, tile, everything is there. Super good people to work with. And at no fault of their own, the contractors, um, my wife noticed a little drip on the concrete floor coming out of one of the rooms. So I showed that to the foreman today, the general manager, and he just looked at me like, this this can't be happening. And so they just tore out those beautiful drywall textured walls that they just did in an entire room chasing a, a leak today. So it's pretty oh, sweet. I hate that they had to cut through that big giant dragon mural you had painted on there, but maybe they can touch that up when they're fix the wall. I already had my Cobra Kai mural up indeed. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Um, uh, so on a totally different note, um, you and I both fielded a ton of emails um, and a lot of response back on social media from our last couple of episodes, especially last week's, which was you and I comparing and contrasting the metrics from our national averages in our composite. Um, There were a lot of people that don't participate in our peer advisory groups, our 20 clubs, but do in our training that, that contacted me were just like, wow, never even knew that that's what that was all about. So that, that spurred a lot of interest, but it was pretty fascinating to do that exercise. And today I'm pretty pumped because we're going to do it. Like we said, on the Marine side of life. 
Yeah, we, we teased the Marine side. We said that we'd stick with Power Sports last week, and now we're going to do it on the Marine fence. And uh, and then we're pretty excited because we got some great guests lined up starting next week, uh, going back to some uh, key people in different industries that we're back to interviewing. So, Marine guys, this one's for you. We're going to compare the metrics like we did with the Power Sport guys. And I think, Tony, to your point, some of those emails and texts that I was fielding in particular were holy crap because we were giving them not only the the national average but the benchmark the what's attainable and i think that really mm-hmm. rattled a bunch yeah. of people's cages as to what's really available out there we're going to do the same thing for the marine guys today and just to cue this up for anybody that did not hear it on the last episode our benchmark is dynamic it moves every single month depending on what the dealers are doing out there so it, it ebbs and flows with the economy with Uh, unit sales, and the benchmark is our national top 20% of dealers. So the best out there is what we say you can attain. So it's not not an average, you know, because I like to call that average uh, um, worst of the best or best of the worst. And so that's right down the middle. So we're going to be speaking a lot about those benchmarks, and we're going to give you those metrics that we find kind of fascinating. And as always, Sam, no major surprise. Let's just jump right into this. Swing counters, which means the doors opening inside of marine dealerships uh, down drastically uh, from 2019 to 2020, went from 9,100 door swings in 19 down to 57.53. Again, that is not a shocker to us because I know all you you Florida dealers are going, wait, hold on. We never closed. And what are you talking about? We had we had roaring traffic. That's true. Talk to a dealer in Michigan because they were... They were threatened with jail time and being arrested if they opened their doors. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it, no that's major a, surprise. Thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a that's a thirty seven percent drop in swing counts. Uh, and I think just to compare it to where we were with our power sport guys, our metric guys were, if I remember, right, it's about eleven percent. But I do remember the Harley side was at forty eight percent drop. But if you remember the Harley conversation, those guys made up for a whole lot of lost ground with dollars, even though their swing count was down substantially. And to mm-hmm. be fair, the Marine guys made up a lot of lost ground as well. So as we get into some of the transactions, you'll see that that 37% drop in swing count did not carry through to the, uh, to the transaction count. But Tony's exactly right. Many of our dealers had their door shut for extended period of time. Some, of, some people more than two months. And so obviously the swing count is going to be down, but it is what you did with the swings and transactions we did have that is impressive. I do want to tell the Marine dealers out there, Sam, and I know that you and I have discussed this before, is the Marine dealers should feel pretty damn good about themselves because when we're talking about swing counters, Marine dealers in the motorcycle industry, we're talking 40, 50, 60,000 swings per year to sell 500, 600, 1,000 units at much less money than you guys. You got you guys are dealing with 5,700 swings and putting money to the bottom line. It's just pouring to the bottom line. So you guys are, uh, I'm not going to call you lucky because you're all hard workers, but you should feel thankful on that end. Well, that's a, that's a really good point, Tony. I teased uh, the transaction count. Let's just jump there next. When we said a 37% decrease in swing count, total transaction in the average Marine store went down from 3,500-ish, 3,517 actually, to 3,967, which is a 13% decrease. So whereas we had 37% less physical door swings, we only had a 13% decrease in transactions. Increase. <laughs> Time out. Yeah. Thank you. There we go. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. We're not going to cut that out. Yeah, no, that was good. I, <laughs> but, hey, I it works, man. You pain meds and you thought I was kidding, but uh, uh, clearly I'm not. No, increase. So my numbers are correct. I said it's a plus, not a negative. So 
13% increase in transactions on a 37% decrease in swing counts, Tony. Which is fantastic. You guys, not only by nature of what happened uh, in the spring and the summer, you did way more with way less this year. So my hat's off to you guys. We also want to talk about that transactional ratios, transactions to greets, transactions to sits and transactions to deliveries, which, you know, in the marine industry, we would love to see three, seven and 12. That could be 12 to 18. It all depends. But numbers went down from 2019 to 2020. So all of the uh, standing on our soapbox has has started to pay off in dividends. <laughs> we are now at 28.4 for greets, 36.9 for uh, sits, and 116 for transactions to delivery. Now, the motorcycle dealers in the country are wincing at that, but They're hey, appalled. man, marine dealers, we're starting to show that that does count. Yeah. Yeah, and when Tony says they went down, that means the numbers went down, which made the transactions come more in line. So that's beneficial year over year. And I think it's fair, Tony, that um, we're still working through some of the uh, initial startup conversations that we had with the Harley dealers back in 2008 relative to transactions, because for those marine dealers who are on the water with uh, a sundry shop, you know, when the dad's filling up the gas tank on the boat out by the dock and the kid walks in to buy a bag of potato chips, well, that's a transaction. Is that actually a transaction? Is that something we want to record? Is that a possible opportunity for a sale when the 15-year-old kid is buying a bag of potato chips and do we record dad and the kid? Or you know, So we're working through some of those uh, pieces as we iron out these transactional ratios. But to your point, I'm proud of these guys. The number is coming in line. I did specifically want to talk about the service transactional number, Tony, because that's the one where we went down, 820 to 672. So we're going to get to service in the natural flow of going through this, starting with sales and, and ending with service right before operating profitability. Yeah. But there's a that's a telltale sign mm -hmm. of what's coming in the service department with service not being able to keep pace with the sales department. Take us up to the unit sales and inventory, Sam. Tell us what we did, what we sold, and, and what we have in stock. Yeah. So again, we're looking through September data. So take that with a grain of salt. Average dealer went from 72 boats last year to 82 boats this year. That is a 14% increase in sales. And it's primarily coming from the fishing boats and wakeboard and, you know, ski and wake boats with the family of dealers that we're tracking. And uh, on one hand, I look at some of those numbers, Tony, and I think uh, it's a balanced spread, right? Pontoon, fishing, ski, wake, runabout. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then I jump to inventory and there are a lot of stories inside of this inventory count. The first story is you're down 49% in dollars yeah. over where you were the year before. That's a big one, yeah. And especially with the inventory count being just two ticks higher. So at this time last year, Marine dealers had 37 units in inventory at a, at a cost of uh, $2.3 million. This year, you have 39 units sitting on your property at a cost of $1.1 million. So personally what it says to me sam is what is it's the leftovers that are sitting out in the parking lots right now and we're waiting to get some of the really good stuff back in inventory spot on because that's showing in the obsolescence too so for boats that are over a year old we're seeing that for particularly pontoon and the fishing boats our obsolescence went up considerably year over year in those categories so that could very well be the leftovers i did also notice that this year sitting in inventory seven to pontoon boats at an average selling price of 28 grand which is a good 10 to 12k less these are these are at cost number gang not selling price these are at cost so at cost pontoon boats sitting in there at 28 grand versus last year they were closer to 40 so we've got more units but they're the lower quality units in inventory so tony that may be a strategy mm -hmm. that some people are taking particular to pontoon boats 
or it simply may be, to your point, the leftovers that we have. But tell us about the ski and wake inventory uh, as far as what we have available versus last year, because boy, does that one scare me. So this year, national average is showing that dealers have five ski and wake boats in stock from 16 last year. So you guys are down 11 units. Again, no surprise, but that is the sweet spot. That's what everybody's kind of looking for right now. And we don't have inventory. And and again, that's not a surprise. Uh, Sam, you and I are going to discuss this a lot at MRAA and our speeches and kind of what's coming on uh, and and how we're going to compensate for that. But nothing shocking there. Now, 1.4 million in cost of ski wake and inventory compared to 450 grand at cost, which is again, Tony and I keep screaming for going out and being proactive on the used side of the fence. And that, that Tony, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the covers back on your speech at MRA, but make sure you catch Tony's speech there. Uh, so basically inventory, we are sitting at less than where we want it to be. Even though these guys are sitting better than the power sport guys are, not as lean as power sports, we are better than where we want to be. So let's take a look, Tony, at what we did sell not necessarily what we missed, but what we actually sold. Talk to us about the F&I number, because that is the one we keep banging our heads against the wall with our marine dealers as to why that number isn't where it could be. That's that's exactly where my eyes went after we saw how many units we sold. And we still see, and I can most certainly paint this with a broad brush, is the marine industry is uber deficient in the F&I dollars that they leave on the table. Gang, for the year through September, the marine industry has put per boat sold, PBS, per unit sold, however you want to say it, uh, you, you've added $1,000 to the to the sale per unit sold. Okay, so, so what that means is that they could have come in and they could have bought a $40,000, $50,000, $200,000, $300,000 boat, and all you did was finance to the tune of $1,000 of pure profit to it. And, and the amount of money... And if you listen to anything that we have said in the 46 past episodes is you guys have so much more money to gain if you get into the F&I business. Agreed, Sam? Oh, my God. It just it kills me, Tony. And that number actually includes the dock, which our Marine guys are running 370. So we are up $100 year over year. So the average per unit or per boat sold year over year went from 907 to 1019. Marine, Marine guys, hear me. Hear me on this. You are just barely above the metric motorcycle industry. And those guys are selling on the same per unit sold number, whether they sell a $20,000 motorcycle or a $1,200 motorcycle, they are catching you on that F&I number. On the metric side of the fence, we like to look at a percent of sales. And at 1019, you're sitting at 1.6% of sales, but it's basically 1.3% of the dollars generated in the sales department is, is what you're getting in F&I. And we know we can get that number closer to four. So we are almost a, a, a factor of four away from where we could be in the F&I number. And that's what the boats were already selling. Huge opportunity, Tony. Along with that said is, is when you look down at the F&I number, you'll see that it, most of the money is coming from the deals that they finance, meaning you just, all, all you did was finance the boat, but you didn't look to do any, you know, paint or fiberglass protection, no gap, no extended service, no priority maintenance. You basically just finance the boat. And again, those ancillary products, not only are they good for the customer, but man, they can make you a lot of money. Well, Tony, you're talking about finance penetration. The average Marine dealer is financing 29.5% of the boats that he or she is selling. And and the answer we always get, Tony, as you know, is, well, come on, man, they're boat dealers. They're high-end clients. They, they don't want to finance. They want to stroke a check. You believe that, right, Tony? 
Absolutely, I don't. Um, and so that's it's funny. You and I were talking about this, and I told you, you know, the story about possibly looking for for a, a new truck. And, and you know, my son has been bugging me for the past month about how bad my truck sucks. And my truck doesn't suck. It's a 2011 Ford F250. It's just an older model or it's just an older version of a truck. And, you know, my, my wife got in the truck the other day, we, we took the kids down to Moab and by the end of the trip, she's like, Oh, my back hurts because this truck is so rigid and it's kind of so old. And so now I'm actually thinking about going and purchasing a new truck. And anybody out there, if you haven't gone and looked at a new truck to purchase in the last five to six years, we're talking, it's about the same price as what my first mortgage was like 70, $80,000. But I don't care about the full price. The only thing I'm doing is the math inside my head for what my monthly payment would be so I could fit it in my budget. So I'm not the rich guy. I hope that's not an allusion to what Sam was talking about, but it doesn't matter. Smart people invest their money so it works for them. And they'll make payments on a really nice boat because they know they could get rid of it super soon. So the concept that your clients are blue blooded and they don't make payments is patently false. We know that 80 to 90 percent of the people that play in the marine industry make payments on their boat. They're just going somewhere else for the money, their bank, their credit union, wherever. Yeah. And the money's so cheap right now. Why wouldn't you, you know, hang on to your own cash. So for the astute buyer who can stroke a check, there's a lot of reasons to not stroke a check. And for the other people, it simply doesn't fit in their budget. Um, Tony, when your wife was complaining about the rigidity of the truck and that it feels so old and stuff, did you remind her of the house remodel that's happening right now? No, I just reminded her that the truck matched the human being. So that just how rigid and stiff and old I'm getting too. So yeah, that's what I'm sure, that, so sure she did not her. argue on that. Let's go to margins. Margins. What about them besides they're terrible? Wait a minute. Uh, hold on. Did I just say that out loud? No, yeah. they could be a lot better gang. Um, you know, I, I, we were in a Centurion meeting and we had Amy from Centurion in there and I said, Amy, uh, you know, if the dealer sold one of your Centurion boats for full retail, what would the margin be? And she said, well, depending on incentives, it'd be in the 30s, 34, 36% margin. And I'm looking at these, Tony, and let's just look at Ski and Wake since I gave that example, 15.2% margin. It'd be in the mm -hmm. 30s if we sold it at retail. And I know this is when everybody tells me, oh, the boat industry doesn't do that. That's the actual posted price. That's not the suggested retail price, which I think is a load of crap. I, I don't like the idea that there's a here's the posted price and then here's the sale price and then here's a boat show price. And I just it, it amazes me. You make it complicated for the buyer to say, yes, let's have a price and stand behind it with integrity and hold value. But even if we do have a higher price than what they're actually selling for, less than half. If the, if the margin to the dealer, if sold at retail could be in the 30s, we're selling these things on average at 15% on wake boats. Come on, gang. There's a tremendous amount of headroom in there, especially when you consider that our benchmark is at 24%. And by that, I mean our top 20% of dealers are nine points ahead of the national average. Run the math on nine points with a boat that has an average selling price of standby. Let me find it. Ski wake. $119,000 average selling price. And our benchmark dealers are running nine points higher in margin than the national average 15%. That one stings a little bit, Tony. You remember when we were sitting in a 20 club with a, a, a group of dealers and we had a newer member come in and we were challenging them on their margin. And we said, you know, how do you get a margin that is significantly lower than the rest of the industry? And this person said, well, you know, the boat comes in at a 32% margin. And the first thing we're going to do is we take 10% off for market value. And, and right there, we were like, whoa, ho hold on, wait a minute. 
Why? So you just assume that if you put the boat to 22%, that it's going to be attractive to more people. To me, you're cutting out a whole demographic of people that might buy the boat at 32%. And so, so the concept gang of it's the marine industry, hey, man, you can always discount a boat, but at least give yourself a fight and chance to get the full pop. Ask for it every single time and work your way down from your number, not theirs. Yeah. I remember our mentor, Tony, Ed Lemko, and one of his, one of the famous Edisms is if you want to date with a prom queen, you just got to ask her. You're never going to get it if you don't ask, right? Yeah. You'll never get that margin unless you start at that margin and believe it and work backwards from there. Bottom line is, Tony, we're sitting here looking at margins that for new products are typically in the mid-teens. There's 14, 15, 15, depending on which category we're going for. So tremendous amount of headroom again particularly when you stack them up against the benchmarks which are which are low to mid 20s as well let's talk a little bit about used you know a lot of the margins that we're looking at in those same categories you know ski and wake is sitting at 15.7 when you could actually be making 19 percent um you're talking about pontoon boats are sitting at 21 uh when you could be at 22.4 percent the the fact of the matter is gang is on the use which is where i'm going to be speaking for mraa um, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity to get yourself from that 20 to 21 sweet spot into that 23 to 26 rare air. Um, you really should be focusing on finding the boats and also um, selling them for what they're worth. It just goes back to the same thing, gang. You have to do the whole process correctly and you have to ask for what you want or you're never going to get it. Well, and the bottom line is we're doing a better job holding margins on the used side than we are on the new side um, for whatever reason. But at the end of the day, as I scroll down to contribution, Tony, uh, 75% increase in contribution, 480 grand versus 830 grand this year for the sales department contribution. That is inclusive of F&I. And here, I'm, I'm going to make one more pitch for F&I, Tony, and then I'm going to let you take us on. I will tell you, if you remember okay. from the podcast last week, that almost 50% of the contribution of the sales department can come from the finance department. Can. Now, the average Marine dealer puts $68,000 to that contribution number. That contribution number, again, is $830,000. And the average Marine dealer puts $68,000 to it. We know the finance department can get you almost half of what your contribution number is. That's money that's already there, gang. It's found income. We need to do a better job in the finance department. I'm done beating that drum, Tony. Let's talk about the uh, the parts and accessories in the pro shop. Uh, you know, we focused on this in the motorcycle industry last week, and the number has gone up. And, and, and w- one of the numbers that we look at to really talk about the health of the department is the sales per employee in the pro shop and the parts and accessories department. And that number in 2019 was 25,000. So each of your employees every month was putting $25,000 of production to the gross. Okay. And you've increased that number to 35,170 this year. So you went up $10,000. So I take my hat off to you. The, The one thing I really want you to be aware of is you're starting to really hit on all cylinders when you're at about $45,000. So it's at this point that I would still suggest what are your people doing with that extra bit of time? Are, are they that salesperson that has their head buried in a computer behind a counter? Because that doesn't look attractive. And are, are, are they going out and being proactive in their sales? Or are they just order taking? And so remember, you, you came up 10. We want to see you come up another 10,000 per employee in, in parts. What are your thoughts on that, Sam? 
Well, and also I, th- I think maybe, Tony, it's a little bit of unjustified credit because uh, we're going to get in the service department in a minute, but the amount of parts and accessories sold to the service department last year was 187 grand versus this year at 301. So the service writers are doing a better job of propping up that P&A number than our P&A staff. And when you look up here, our accessory number is dead flat over last year. So 154 mm-hmm. versus 157 this year, it's the parts number that went up considerably. It's not the accessory number that parts number went up, what, 50, 60 grand. And you can track all of that to the service rider. So on one hand, the data says sales per employee is going up. But I think the parts department was almost an afterthought as we were trying to scramble and figure out, one, how do we sell these boats with COVID going on? And two, how do we get them out the door and keep up with the service work that we're having? So it's a little bit of a, a, a puzzle going on in the parts department right now. Sam, kick it off and, and talk to the group, and I'll, I'll follow up behind you on those line items per ticket. They have gone up this year, but but explain to those people out there listening why it's important, those line items per ticket. Yeah, it <laughs> it, it went up from 1.5, which is pretty horrific, to 1.86, which is just bad, right? So it went all the way up from horrific to bad. Line items per ticket is the ability <laughs> for the for the salesperson to upsell and add on. So if I came in for a surfboard, did I also go home with a tow rope and a cool looking jacket and some new gloves, right? What did I go home with? What is the salesmanship of that person? And as we know, Tony, a lot of that has to do with how that department is structured. Did we hire salespeople or did we hire clerks? Are we paying them like salespeople, right? Do we treat them like salespeople who happen to sell P&A or do we treat them like P&A people that we hope happen to make a sale? Because that's a big paradigm shift for a lot of people. So we love to see that number playing north of 3.0. This is when we know we actually are making a conscious effort to add on to the sale. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. You're 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 starting to get the point when you hit 2.5, you become a sales department that happens to sell pro shop accessories and parts when you're at 3.0 and above. So to your point it is correct. There was a lot of good work done in the pro shop and parts and accessories department. You went from $60,000 to $120,000 net profit from the department. So that's that's a good job there. It doesn't mean that you don't have room to grow. Your parts and accessories obsolescence, which means something that has had a birthday, has turned a year old, is decreasing and it doesn't appear that it's going up. So I, I tip my hat to you there. Let, let's get into the service department, Sam. Wait, hang on. Let me bolt on to the backside of that obsolescent yeah. comment. Then we'll jump into service, yep. which is to Tony's point, we're sitting at 20 last year. We were sitting at 21% parts obsolescence as in 12 months old or older and 10, 10% accessory. And we're now down to 12% in parts and 8% in accessories. So to Tony's point, we did a good job getting rid of some of that obsolescence. I want to make sure we have a system moving forward, not just that we took a tax write-off and threw a whole bunch of it in the dumpster or had some kind of a blowout sale. And I bring that up, Tony, because if you look at the total dollars in inventory between parts and accessories, we were at 360 last year, and this year we're at 420000 So we're steadily taking on a nice chunk more of inventory which bodes well to have the stuff that people want. You better have a system in place so that that doesn't trickle down to the obsolescence because based off of the line items per ticket, you're going to be sitting on some of that, right? So we need some sales training going on and we need to open to buy in place for the average dealer out there. You better have a system for what you're doing. Let's go in and look at the service department. And this is one of the places where you and I discuss the money that was taken in on the service department, in my opinion, was fantastic, but it hides Quite, quite a few flaws going on in what I feel is a, a service departments across the country that maybe could have capitalized. Now, now, remember, 
We understand some of your technicians wouldn't come to work. Some of your technicians couldn't come to work. Um, some of your places were mandated to be closed. So uh, take this with a grain of salt. We're not harping on you, but we're saying that we still see quite a bit of opportunity out there. And so I'll just give you the number of, you know, the contribution from the service department went from $88,000 in 2019 to $230,000 in 2020. So again, I tip my hat to you and I would say it's a job well done, but there are some things that, that kind of caused me concerns. Sam, what are some of the things that you saw? And I'll come back and come back and clean up anything that I see. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, right out of the gate, when you, Tony was talking about contribution and it's true, you're up 142 grand over last year, which is 161% increase. So if, if you're sitting there going, well, Sam, that doesn't make any sense because earlier you said the service department wasn't keeping pace with the sales department. Well, hang on, because the sales department sold 14% more units and the service department sold 6% more labor dollars. Now, what you did with that and how efficiently you churned through that work is what put the money to the bottom line. So great job on that part. But when we're selling 14% more boats and only 6% more labor, it makes me wonder how far out if I'm a customer that I have to give you my boat and not be with my boat while you're wrenching on it or you're just mm-hmm. waiting for parts or whatever it is, right? So the delay going into the service department, if I'm the consumer, frightens me when your labor dollars are not up to where they need to be, just from the analysis side of the fence. And Tony, I'll give you one more and then I'll let you take it because this is a hot button for me. Mm-hmm. It comes up in our composite reviews all the time. When I see that the margin for warranty labor is considerably less than the margin in customer labor and internal labor, right? I, I, I'm just like, well, why are we charging the manufacturer less? And overwhelmingly, the answer is, well, the manufacturer just won't pay it. They just won't pay our labor rate. And I'm looking at a labor rate of 142 bucks for the average dealer out there. And I'm like, what do you mean they won't pay the labor rate? So manufacturers, if you're listening right now, it's not like we have a $300 labor rate going on. We have a very reasonable, I suggest, low labor rate of 142 and for you guys to not be paying the actual cost of what it takes to fix that thing under warranty, I think that's a I think that's something you guys need to get to get your heads together on and come up with a better answer. Because for these guys to be able to do the work, represent the brand, and do it correctly, we need to be honoring their actual labor rate. I'll get off my soapbox now, Tony. To back up what Sam says is know that we are telling the dealers out there to increase their labor rate. We we tell them that often that they should increase their labor rate because it's merited. These boats 20 years ago were selling for $30,000, $50,000. You are now selling ski and wake boats for $220,000, That is called a premium product, and they're worth every penny to have a labor rate of $140,000, $50,000, $180 an hour because they have to do quite a bit of work to these things. So I uh, back you up on that, and, and my eyes went immediately, Sam, to hours available versus hours billed. Um, we had 4,200 hours available and we build 3,200. We lost almost a thousand hours of opportunity there. Now lost labor, if you put money to it and that, that is you multiply it by that 142 labor rate, which is national average, that comes out to $133,000 that we left on the table in service. And so gang, take it with a grain of salt. If you're sitting here saying, you know what, Tony, hold on, wait a minute. We were closed for two months or hold on, wait a minute, Tony, we couldn't get technicians. Okay. I'll give you 30. at the end of the day, you left money on the table in service. How much of it was your fault due to organization, due to not, not having the right people, not having the the, the best techs out there, Um, not, not, not being 
proactive in your salesmanship when it comes to service writers. So there's a lot of reasons it could be that way. And it's our job to point out those numbers. And I want to talk about ROs as well. We lost almost 200 ROs year over year. So a lot of opportunity to glean some extra cash there. Well, and I think, Tony, that, you know, the loss of 200 ROs also speaks to, you know, it came right out of the transactions at the front. That's one of the first things I started with was we're down considerably as far as transactions. We're down up in the front in the uh, service department, right? And, and by the front, I mean the front of the book. So the service department transactions are off by the same number that our ROs are off. So if we don't have the availability to do the work, so be it. But a lot of times we see a discount in labor, which we are seeing as far as margin goes. We are seeing a 65, 60% labor rate when we have a benchmark in the 80s, right? So what is, where does that happen? Well, if we're scrambling, if we're three weeks out, if we're whatever, you're a lot more likely to discount in that scenario. So keep that in mind. There's a correlation definitely between the ROs and the decrease in margin on the labor rate side of the fence. Tony, did you notice the warranty submitted number taking a dive as well? I did. And it, 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 was, a, it was a significant dive on there as well. You know, the warranty number went from 32 to 21. Did we have a pandemic and all the things attached to it? Yes, but it doesn't mean that we didn't have warranty work. So my mind immediately goes to who is checking to make sure that there's warranty work that needs to be done. Are we not only submitting it to the manufacturers, but are we collecting it? So yeah, that was a number that stuck out to me as well. 34% drop in warranty uh, submission and collected for that matter. So I, I just think a lot of it, Tony, is just they're scrambling. They just didn't have time to pick up the pieces and get the warranty submitted. So just be careful because there may be a lot of uh, warranty claims that got written up and put in a desk drawer that if they never get submitted, you're never going to see the money because we know the work was getting done. I just want to make sure the dealers are getting paid for it. If you if you look at the end of the end of the year, Tony's point was 142 grand. We're up 161% in contribution. And all in all, you guys made up for a lot of lost ground. In other words, you did very well with the work you were able to get to. We're just trying to highlight some of the stuff that we couldn't get to. Talk to me about absorption. Uh, and this, this one is kind of fascinating. It was another one that jumped off the page to me was absorption went from 43%. Remember, for those of you out there that don't understand absorption, absorption is the ability for your fixed operations. So the pro shop parts and accessories. Uh, and the service department and your marina to overcome your administrative costs so that your sales department is literally pouring money to the bottom line. And that finally happened, it looks like, in the marine industry, Sam. We got above our benchmark of 70%. We're, we're starting to float somewhere around the 90 to 100% absorption, which means that all the boat sales were just being poured to the bottom line, which if you look at the bottom line for dealers this year, that it stands to reconcile that way, you know? Yeah, and just looking at the contribution of the different departments, right? When you stack them up year over year, the parts department went from uh, parts and accessories went from fifty eight thousand dollars to one hundred twenty one thousand dollars. Service went from eighty eight grand to two hundred thirty, right? And those two primarily are responsible for covering uh, that fixed element, the fixed cost to get your absorption rate up. So uh, it's awesome to see so many of these numbers trending in the right direction, even while we're scrambling trying to figure out what this whole twenty twenty year was all about. Um, Tony, talk to us. Let, let's go to the big King Kong number at the bottom. You know how much I love to jump right yep. to it. So at the end of the day, what all the only thing that matters is this, gang. The only thing that matters is that uh, year over year in 2019, dealers put 4.4% operating profit to the bottom line. That is money that you get to put in your pocket 
um, less any form of taxes or whatever that you got to pay. But long story short is you put 4.4% profit to the bottom line. And this year, Marine dealers put 14.5% operating profit to the bottom line. So you increased your bottom line by 10%. And that is, that's just absurd, man. That's awesome. Lots of money in the bank. Uh, you know, you, you're going to have some tax implications this year, but everybody's going to. So what are your thoughts on that, Sam? Yeah, well, as as you guys know, our goal is to give you tax problems. Uh, and at 14.4, you're welcome. You're welcome that you're going to have to write such a big check to the uh, to Uncle Sam out there. But, y- you know, Tony, I look at it two ways. I look at what you guys did, and then I look at what we could have done, as you know. And and it's a, it's a double-edged sword because what we did as an industry is awesome. And I love seeing it. I want to make, I, I hope 2021 is flush with inventory. I hope we have the right number of staff on board. I hope all of our dealers believe in omni-channel and blended retail so that we can capitalize on some of these sales that we have clearly missed. But when you look at the top 20% of our dealers, our benchmark, Tony, it, it's up to 26%. It's up to 26% operating gross profit. So the average dealer sitting at 14, and clearly some of the people that were already embracing a virtual sales process, they were already inv- uh, embracing blended retail, self-drop-off in the service department, which Max always talks about, and then a, a measure of expense control that I don't think we've had the luxury of seeing simply because we have more coming in the front that we can drop those expense numbers as a percent to get us into the 20s for operating gross profit in the boating world. It's just, it's so exciting to see. And I hope some of that gets reinvested in the team and the facility and, uh, and, and that we keep playing this game as we roll out here. There you have it, gang. Um, we covered the motorcycle industry last week, and that was the, the marine industry's numbers this week. If any of you guys have questions, you can reach either one of us, Tony or Sam at Garage Composites. We love giving these numbers out because we think it hopefully inspires some of you to do better or pat yourself on the back. So with that, Sam, uh, I, I'm going to have us go on a little outro here. And, you know, for Sam Dantzler, I'm Tony Gonzalez, and that was episode 47 of GarageCast. We'll see you guys all next week. Have a great week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.